kind of like a horror movie. You aren't really scared of the ghost popping out of the cupboard and screaming at you. You're scared of a ghost that might be hiding in the cupboard. Hi, before we get to this week's podcast, I'd like to tell you that Automated Creative are releasing a book called How to Make It in Marketing, Volume 1. It is a collection of the best marketing career advice we've had from over 200 episodes of the Shiny New Object podcast. You'll hear from some of the biggest, brightest and best names in the industry showing you, telling you how to grow your career. You can reserve yourself a copy at this URL. So get your pens out. It's bit.ly, so bit.ly forward slash make it in marketing. So that's bit.ly, B-I-T L-Y forward slash make it in marketing. But the make it in marketing bit is in capital letters. So bit.ly forward slash lowercase and the rest is make it in marketing uppercase. I think you should get your heads around that and enjoy. It's a great read. Hello and welcome to the Shiny New Object Podcast. My name is Tom Ollerton. I'm the founder of Automated Creative and this is a regular podcast about the future of marketing where I get to interview one of our industry's leaders. And this week is absolutely no different. I'm on a call with Varun Ravichandran, who is AVP Marketing at Citibank. So Varun, for anyone who doesn't know who you are and what you do, could you give us a brief background? Hi, everyone. My name is Varun. As Tom mentioned, I'm a marketing manager at Citibank. Now, that's a combination of marketing and finance, but like most Indians who have appeared in this show, well done to you, by the way, Tom, approaching 200 episodes, almost there. I'd encourage everybody to stream them. There are lots of nuggets of information from fellow folks in the industry. Back to me, like most Indians, I'm an engineer by education, a computer engineer to be precise. But after a series of smooth and maybe not so smooth left turns over the past decade, I've ended up here in finance. It has to be pointed out that I did do an MBA in marketing before the pandemic, prior to which I was working at a financial aggregator for the best, better part of five years. So there's sufficient grounding in both of those fields uh, up front that I mentioned, finance and marketing. Overall, and from a mental approach perspective, and with the benefit of hindsight, I like my current vantage point, allowing me to merge the science of technology and arguably finance, along with the art of marketing as well. In order to get to your position in your career, You've had to say yes to a lot of things and work very hard and presumably put in some serious hours whilst keeping on top of all the changes and trends and new technologies and behaviours that are happening in our industry. And that's a lot. So how do you deal with overwhelm? How do you deal when you've got too many inputs without enough time to process them all? So in my book, being overwhelmed is just being confused with the tenses, which is being confused between the past and the present, to be specific. It's kind of like a horror movie. You aren't really scared of a ghost popping out of the cupboard and screaming at you. You're scared of a ghost that might be hiding in the cupboard. Same thing here. If you're overwhelmed with your email inbox, say, clocking up mail after mail, let it happen. Let the ghost jump out of the cupboard. Let the waves crash over you. Because after that, it's happened. It's in the past. And now the baseline is set and you're in the driving seat and in control of the future. I specifically brought up that email example because that tends to happen with me and nearly everybody else I know who works in any kind of marketing field. There's a point where a large campaign is in the works and it's easy to trip and fall somewhere in the middle when the pressure gets amped up by just this much. Different strokes for different folks, of course, but what I personally do as I let the email inbox flood in that example is to slow down to a crawl. You needn't reply to Rahul as soon as he usually replies to you. If a to-do list pops up on a Friday afternoon, you needn't get it done but before the end of the day because even Tuesday in the next week is just one and a half working days away. 
slow down, see the bigger picture. Nobody has died here. There's no need to give people the impression that you're always on. Uh, unfortunately, since the internet and channels like smartphones and WhatsApp have become ubiquitous, they've also become the most abused medium to have your mind share more at work than home or play. So another thing I do quite often, especially since COVID, is to get to a spot where there is no phone signal. Uh, living in India, I can climb the Himalayas and scuba dive in the seas in the same country. I did that over the past year or two when I couldn't get out, out of the country. Guess what's common between both? There's no phone signal. There's no phone full stop when you're underwater. And when you're back at work after a few days of that, surprise, the sky hasn't fallen. And that's when you tend to enjoy work more when I'm back from such escapades. It gives a lot more meaning to my day and my work. Right. I really want to talk about this. So so you just let shit happen. You just like stuff comes in your inbox, seemingly important, seemingly interesting, and you just don't deal with it until like it's all red flagged to hell and you have to. Like I love that idea. I find that quite freeing to even hear, let alone try, but specifically help help me understand how that works. So I don't know, you run say let me just clarify this. So you got I don't know, maybe you've got like one massive launch happening and then you've got always on in the background and then you've got responsibilities across different markets, for example. I mean that's you're already full and yet something else comes in and then something else comes in and then something else comes in. How does that actually work? How do you make that happen? That works because you have an ally in the room that you always tend to underestimate and that is time. You have plenty of time or you have enough time to juggle all of those things and get it accomplished over say a week or more the mental pressure that you put on yourself can be easily released if you just plan your day better and take an hour out of the start of each day to make sure you know what's happening and budget time enough to do everything so it's easy not to get overwhelmed if you're in that mindset and so how do you plan your day what are the steps you go through to make sure that you're doing the right things at the right time so at the start of the previous night in fact uh if especially if it's a busy work day or a work week coming up i plan the day in broad strokes so uh, i don't individually look at each hour and uh, think of what I'm going to do next. I leave a lot of flexibility for that, but I plan the first half of each day, two or three things that has to be accomplished there. The little parts will take care of itself, so on and so forth. That's that's a style I like to work with. Well, I'm I'm impressed, man, and I, I'm going to follow up with you on this because I'm, I'm I'm really struggling with that at this point in time. Co-running a business and you know growing the team and offices whilst trying to do everything I'm supposed to do, I, I find that very difficult. So that's that's been inspirational. Thank you. So let's move away from the. the the doing and the day-to-day. And I want to know more about your advice for marketers. Do you have a tip, a top marketing tip that you share with your teams most often? I'll keep it simple. Um, I'll keep it simple and also close to the industry where I work, finance, which, as you know, is not the most fun arena of any kind of brand manager. It's hardly like selling a burger or a car or a holiday destination. BFSI products are now fairly commoditized across the world. Uh, with that said, uh, since I've been around the retail side of banking products and services, there's a lot more B2C than other areas of a bank or a fintech company. Uh, yet people don't wake up in the morning and say to themselves, I want to go to the bank today, or I want to apply for a loan or insurance. My tip, therefore, as a marketeer in any field is that you have to start from the customer and work backwards, but particularly in finance, realize that the customer may fear a loan as a product, but what he or she will enjoy and aspire towards is that the loan will get them, say, a car, revocation, see what I did there. So it pays to be a true student of the customer, and the reason for this layering in finance is because personal finance, as the name suggests, is a lot more personal to people than other customer or consumer products. As a marketer, your relationship should be longer term than other verticals, and 
uh, with the greatest of respect to the other variables, of course. My tip, if you want me to condense it, is to realize that the customer in question is forever evolving and you can't go back to past templates and put them in practice today. Always realize what he or she wants at, as of this moment and uh, keep the finger on the pulse and constantly tune your thought process in such a way. So how do you balance the need to be customer first, customer centric, customer focused with the reality that customer centricity it's going to end up being between five and 10 personas in an agency deck somewhere with a picture of that person or persona doing something like holding their mobile phone whilst you know, sitting on a beach or something with some kind of fairly meaningless name for that persona. Because I, I get the theory, I get that idea that you've got to be laser focused. But my experience of that when I used to work at agencies was that it boils down to quite broad and bland segments of consumers that are completely irre- irrecognizable as, as human beings. That's a very good question. And that's something that I tackled at one of my previous organizations by building something called the Aspiration Index, which is while your regular campaigns are going on and while you're pushing out collaterals day to day, uh, in the background over the course of a financial year, you're building another product called an Aspiration Index, which is a huge survey that was done countrywide to identify uh, customer customers' financial habits, like what do they aspire for? What kind of a house do they aspire for? What are their targets for uh, savings over the next three years? What kind of car do they envy on the streets today? So uh, once that was done over a period of many, many months, those personas that were defined there were based on real-world data and were a lot broader than what an agency usually comes up with on the fly at most times prior to the launch of a campaign. And that was used as a baseline, as a foundation for uh, diversifying the, the audience set that you target to. Aspiration Index. This episode of the Shiny New Object podcast is brought to you in partnership with Manfest. Whether it's live in London or streamed online to the global marketing community, you can always expect a distinctive and daring blend of fast-paced content, startup innovation pitches, and unconventional entertainment from Madfest events. You'll find me causing trouble on stage, recording live versions of this podcast, and sharing a beer with the nicest and most influential people in marketing. Check it out at www.madfestlondon.com. So we're now going to move on to your shiny new object, which is experiential e-commerce. So that sounds like two marketing buzzwords squished together, but I sort of know what it means. But can you explain what experiential e-com is? Experiential e-commerce in my book is a recipe featuring a healthy serving of product mixed with just the right amount of emotion and garnished with innovation and technology through and through. In general, experiential marketing is the foundation of this, and it engages customers through their participatory experiences, allowing them an avenue wherein they can participate in a brand's experience. This differs from traditional marketing where a customer is seen as a more passive receiver of a company's message or service or product. So experiential marketing and e-commerce in a nutshell allows a business to forge a relationship with the customer by allowing them to be both a part of and see the heart of the campaign. The first time I heard of this concept, at least in a way that impacted me, was a T-Mobile advert years ago, around 10 years ago, where they collaborated with the popular mobile game Angry Birds. This was in Barcelona, Spain. Participants would walk up to an innocent-looking T-Mobile counter. This was in 
uh, in Spain, like I said, and they'll have a go at the game on uh, a phone place there. The moment they let go of the catapult, boom, a giant stuffed toy version of the red bird would fly in real life in the distance and hit a, a target in more or less the same way that was happening on the device. I hadn't even heard about this game and I saw this advert and I downloaded it right away, played it for months and end as it be all and saw the movie when it came out and so on. A few years later, I spotted a Coca-Cola vending machine in Singapore, which was dispensing free cans of cola when you hugged the thing. Pretty cute, but there were TV, TV cameras recording it. And the key point is these two examples, among others, were one-offs, concepts, not gimmicks per se, but to generate some kind of PR for the brand in the market in question, giving the audience free samples or offers. But experiential e-commerce is the result of this thought process when channeled correctly by a large institution, this could work well. In my opinion, for a lot of industries that are more at a trough than a peak at the moment, for example, the music industry, artists spend years composing and perfecting their music only for the album itself to barely create a ripple these days and maybe have, in the best case scenario, a single tune becoming a popular MP3 download or a Spotify play. It needn't be that way. Like I said up front, it's a marriage between product, technology, and emotion. If the album was created in a moment in time, why not introduce the listener to that moment and vibe every time he plays it? Use innovation to get the listener out of a pair of innocent headphones, have him plug in VR glasses or the technology at the time to make him live the music almost as if he or she is walking through a music video. That captures the essence of the artist's efforts and in marketing terms, minimizes drop-off and engages the user for longer than a run-of-the-mill internet stream. I don't know how many years away something like this is, but I hope it's sooner rather than later. Experiential Ecom is having a different experience of that product that could be real world it could be digital uh, is that have i got that right that it's a it's an extra version of ecom where a different sense or a different emotion is triggered correct yeah at the heart i would argue the principles of marketing are still uh, abundant the customer comes first the brand is still trying to achieve that perfect trifecta of perception awareness and value the advantage is that the brand has sharper tools at its disposal, allowing them to be a stronger storyteller and set up the environment for a louder echo, which in other words is word of mouth that a customer has heard the story. So who's doing this well? You gave the example of Coke and T-Mobile, but they seem highly geographically specific, right? You know, ultimately you're going to get like a cool PRE video that you can share around, but that is not going to that's going to touch a very, very small number of Coca-Cola potential consumers who are putting Coke in their basket on wherever, Shopee, Lazada, Amazon, or they are you know, just walking down a supermarket and, they, and they're going to decide between own brand or Coke or Pepsi or whatever it is. Like, How does experiential e-com work for a larger group of people? So here in India, there's a popular eyewear brand called Lenscart. They came e-commerce first, Lenscart spelled with a K. Uh, where you can have your laptop or tablet or phone that can take a photo of your face at a few angles and it generates a 3D model for you. And after that point, you can just use that 3D, 3D model on the database to try on all the pairs of spectacles or sunglasses that are available at this company's website. Well, uh, it gives you a reasonable, accurate picture of how you look with one or the other pair. Obviously, that is far less effort than going to a store and doing this physically, and it's given this particular brand a head start over its competitors, at least in urban centers. So that is one good example. Of course, I want to qualify this by pointing out the pitfalls which are inevitable in this industry. The biggest one is to not make this experience too salesy. Today's customer, as we know, already fast forwards to commercials, has ad blockers in their browser. He or she does not want to be part of a sales pitch. If you make it too salesy, you'll turn them off or worse, 
uh, have them state that they've had a negative experiential experience. Uh, second, the brands that will win this game, like Lenskart, will be the first one that grow up beyond the gimmicky phase, like uh, T-Mobile and Coca-Cola examples that I pointed out. Uh, those examples were pretty cool, but at the end of the day, they existed just to create a splash in the media in some way, shape, or form. Another brand I can give you that are probably going to do this well is Airbnb. Uh, they seem to be at the forefront of grasping this concept of folks wanting to read more about this. Google up Airbnb, lived by some, experienced by many. Can you tell me more about that? Okay. Airbnb is not a typical hotel room. You can uh, live in a, a nice cabin by the forest or uh, a little shack by the sea, but you don't know what you're going to get, unlike a hotel room, which has plenty of pictures, plenty of word of mouth, plenty of reviews. So, uh, so Airbnb is uh, going to put out a uh, sort of a holo- uh, sort of hologram version of uh, what they try to achieve a hologram version of uh, uh, the amenities you get, the environment you get at each of the a few select locations in a few select countries and uh, setting up offline stores where you can walk into that. It's kind of like a 4D theater experience, but this is still in the works. I'm, I'm, I'm Googling it. What's it called, Airbnb? The campaign will be called uh, Lived by Some, Experienced by Many. Lived by Some. Okay. Okay. I will, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take that out. I'm dying to know, how does this work in financial services? So financial services, it's a challenge to begin with, but uh, obviously I cannot not give a financial example knowing my background. Contrary to popular belief, uh, the emotion is pretty strong in this industry. Uh, like I said, the person does not wake up in the morning that he's going to the, go, go to the bank or he's excited to pick up insurance. Uh, but the financial industry will enter a space where it uh, will recognize itself as a prominent stakeholder in, say, car buying process, uh, and therefore be able to advertise to the customer, giving him a means to an end, saying that you're saving a particular amount of money every month and tying that particular amount of money with his aspirations, say a pair of uh, that, but that sum of money has allowed him to uh, buy a chassis of a BMW X1 and 12 months later, well, the car has taken shape in front of them. Allows them allows the finance industry, in short, to connect the dots. Would be my answer. And so, who do you who do you really look up to in the experiential ecom space? Who like you've given some really strong examples of there, but like who who do you think's running away with this right now? Uh, I would like to stick with that example I gave. Lenscart is the one that uh, that as a user I quite enjoyed it. All my pairs of spectacles, sunglasses have gone directly to that one person. And it's more of a space where instead of picking out names right now, I'd like to watch the space over the coming decade. I think technology will arrive at a particular junction where it'll take off, say, in the mid middle part of this decade and onwards. Because I think where I'm struggling with it is that the lens cart example is great. And what they've really done is leveraged augmented reality, which was a, a shiny new object when I came into the industry, like... Uh, 10, 15 years ago. But really the the output is is kind of user experience, right? So you go to a website and you have a slightly better user experience because you're trying on the you know different items and so on. But what I'm struggling with is that that just feels like a UX play. Like it doesn't experiential e-commerce for me sounds bigger than that. And when you talked about the Angry Birds example, when you talked about T Mobile, that that was really super creative. Whereas the Lenscott example is very functional. So is it experiential e-commerce leaning more one way than you're there is it experiential e-commerce anything that's just better than clicking on it on an image and download and buying that thing or 
does it extend all the way through to real world experiences? How, help me understand where you think the sweet spot is. So it depends on the industry and depends on the brand that has first mover advantage in their respective segments. So Lens, sorry, the T-Mobile and the Coca-Cola adverts for just for just for creating a news story out of it. But the Lenscart uh, example that I provided was for its business, that's the best they can achieve with today's technology. And that uh, generates a lot of money for them, a lot of revenue for them. So it uh, once again, I'll watch the space and whoever comes up with something creative in the experiential space works for them. And we will see what uh, technology develops in the years ahead. Well, Varun, you've really got me thinking here. So if anyone wants to get in touch with you to talk about experiential e-com or anything else we've discussed on the podcast today, how would you like to get them in touch? What makes a good outreach message to you and where do you want them to get in touch with you? I think LinkedIn is a good place to start. You can drop me a line over there and we'll be happy to chat. All right, Varun, thank you so much for your time. Sure, thank you. Hi, just before you go... I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the Shiny New Object Podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever it's called these days, or whichever podcast provider you use. We're an indie podcast, so it would go a long way for us if you could just share the word and give us a bit of a support on those channels. That would just be fantastic. If you haven't got time, that's also cool. And yeah, if you could tell your colleagues about the podcast and also, if possible, don't forget to subscribe. And I'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, if you'd like to speak on the podcast or be a guest or you think I'm asking the wrong questions, anything, I'd be super interested to hear what you think. So please email me at tom at automatedcreative.net. That's T-O-M at, uh, I'm not going to bother spelling it. Anyway, you'll work it out. Thanks so much.